1: 225 274 1607, or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Jesus, Word. You are
0: all for today. Master, Savior. I have come to seek you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today that you are so awesome. God, we pray that you would just really, truly speak to us today. God, we've come here today to hear from you. We've come here to get a word from you today. And God, we pray that, God, we would not leave here disappointed. But God, you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to our lives. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give someone a high five around you. Say, you're looking good today. Come on, there you go. There you go. So excited today. We begin... Okay, we didn't say hug each other and have a big conversation, just high five. And it's okay, it's okay, you're only playing. But we're so excited today as we begin our new series. We're beginning a new series today called Mind Games. Mind Games, what a powerful, powerful series. I truly believe this is going to be for each one of our lives because Satan messes with our minds. He comes in and he messes with our thoughts And we're going to just discover today and throughout this month just the truths from God's Word. And I want you to know from the beginning, when we start talking about the mind and thoughts, I just want you to know we're not going to give you a motivational speech today. But I'm telling you, what you're going to hear is going to motivate you to change. We're not interested in giving you a positive thinking seminar that you can come. But one thing I'm telling you is this, we're going to give you a positive life. We're going to teach you not about positive thinking, but about positive living. We're going to teach you principles from God's word that will allow your life to take action as a result of the right way of thinking. Because we need to think right. Why? Because look at this, a negative mind will produce a negative life. If we have negativity in our head, It's going to be carried out in our lives. Our lives are going to follow our thoughts. And that's why today I want to talk about knowing your weapons. Knowing the weapons that God has given to you because we don't have to identify our enemy. We all know our enemy. We know Satan who's out to destroy our lives. We know that he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He comes with those lies. He comes with those accusations. He hits us. He bombards us. We know our enemy, but today we're going to learn the weapons that overcome our enemy. We're going to learn about how we can be victorious, how we can guard our minds, how we can have a renewed mind. Look at the scripture. This is going to be our theme scripture for the month from Romans chapter 12, but we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2 today. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says these words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, you gift your life, you give your lives to God. I love what it says in the New Living Translation. He says, I plead with you. I plead with you to give your life, your bodies to God. What an incredible thought. It's not just if you feel like it, he's pleading with them. Please give your life to God as what? A living sacrifice. Holy, say with me, set apart. It's what the word "holy" means, set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One translation says it this way: When you think of what He has done for you, is it too much to ask? Isn't that beautiful? When you think of everything God's done for you, this is your reasonable service. This is literally the least that you could do because of the greatness that He has done for your lives. In other words, giving your life completely to God is the least that you and I could do. Surrender is always the starting point of blessing and change. Did you hear me? surrendering your life surrender is always the starting point of blessing and changing as we will read or a transformation verse 2 it says and do not be conformed say with me put in a box come on you can help me out today so put in a box because that's what the word conformed means Satan wants to put you in a box. He wants to mold you and fashion you according to the customs of what we see around us today. He wants us to follow the behaviors of what we see around us. He wants us to be a part of that way of thinking, that way of living. God says, don't be put in a box. Don't find yourself looking like the world, sounding like the world, being like the world. But what does he say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be... Come on, help me out in the house. Come on, it's going to be a long day if you don't help me preach today. But be Transformed. transformed. How are we transformed? He tells us by renewing our minds that you... That you. I love this part of the verse because many times we just read it and say be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Period. Let's go home, celebrate ya ya ya. But we need to see why we need a transformed, renewed mind. It says this, that you. Yeah, he's talking to you. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, a transformed, renewed mind leads you into a right life. It leads you into the life that God has for you. You want to know the will of God? You want to know the purpose of God for your life? Allow Him to renew your mind. Begin to understand that because it says then you will prove, that means to know. You will know what God's plan is, what God's purpose and God's destiny for your life. Every week we teach people about what God's plan, purpose and destiny is for your life. Where God wants to come into your life, but what he wants to do in your life so you can be a what? A doer or a beer of him because you're called to be a human being. That you can live out the purpose of God. New Living Translation says that you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. Transformation. Transformation. Transformation to me is change on steroids. What do I mean by that? It's more than just making a change. A lot of you at the beginning of the year, you said, I'm going to change. A lot of you said, I'm going to change, I'm going to change the way I eat, I'm going to change the behaviours, I'm going to start exercising. How are you doing with that? That change probably is long gone. For some of you, you're enjoying it, maybe not where you thought you were, but you see that's the problem with change many times. We have good intentions, but we find ourselves right back at the original point. We don't find ourselves progressing. God doesn't say, I want to change your mind. God says, I want to transform your mind. So it's more than just making a change. It's being changed. God wants you to be actively involved in that change, that transformation. So it means having a new mind. He wants to give you a new mind. But what's our enemy? Conformity. To begin to think like the world. We become finding ourselves. The Bible tells us we're in the world, but we're not of the world. What does that mean? Not that we're greater than and we're better than, but this is not our stopping point. We're going somewhere. God's going to use us here, but He's got great plans in the future for us too. So we've got to watch that we don't conform, because when we get conformed, we get stuck. We get like the world. So conformity. How do we? It's avoided by a transformed and renewed. Mind, a new way of thinking, a God way of thinking, seeing things God's way. Did you know that your mind is a battlefield? Your mind is a battlefield. It's where Satan plays his mind games with you, where he comes in and fills your head with all that junk and all that stuff. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning fleshly. In other words, we use God's mighty weapons, not the weapons of this world, because that's what we need to knock down Satan's strongholds. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds or pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments. Here's the thought part. Here's the mind part of our lives. Casting down every thought, every intent, every thing that's in our mind, every high thing that does what? Exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That we are to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. We've got to cast down every thought, every argument, every high thing that comes against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? That's where we discover who we are in God. When we understand who God is, we understand who we are in God. We've got to watch because our mind will begin to tell us that God doesn't love us. Our mind would begin to tell us that God doesn't accept us, that if we change this and do that, then God will. I want to tell you something right now. No matter what you do, it won't change who God is. You cannot change the nature of God. And the nature of God is to love. The nature of God is to be gracious and to be merciful. Yes, we've got to accept that grace and that mercy. But no matter what you've done, it will never change who God is. So you know what that means? No matter what you've done, God is greater. Because if you think what you've done is bad, God's badder. In a good way. He's a good badder. He's a good greater than all of those things. So we've got to cast down those things that would try to present themselves as painting a picture to us of who God is and who we are in God. Those wrong thoughts, we've got to cast them down. And what do we do? We bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is the obedience of Christ? The obedience of Christ is the cross. The act of obedience was he went to the cross. He willingly gave his life. He surrendered his life. He cried out, it is finished. as He gave up his life for you and I. Man did not take his life. He willingly gave his life for us. He willingly died for us. Paying the penalty that we owned, but paying the penalty once and for all. So what is his obedience? His obedience is your total victory. So what do we do? We bring every thought into captivity to the what? The freedom and the victory that we have in Christ. Do you see this today? Come on, help me preach in the house today. We bring every thought to the cross. And the cross gives us all access. Man, I can't wait for Easter Sunday. We're going to be talking about all access. What is available through the cross. Man, I've got a great message. I've got to watch because I'll maybe start preaching it. We're preaching about the prodigal son. Jesus hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A prodigal son was a way he'd spent everything. He'd lived his life every which way he had. And he thought, if I could come back and be a servant, aren't you glad that we're not welcome back as a servant? We're welcome back as a son. That there is all access, no matter where we've been and what we've done and what we've spent the inheritance on. All access is still ours through Jesus Christ. That's just an infomercial for Easter Sunday. You need to be here. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So we've got to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, my life does not have to be controlled by my wrong thoughts. But instead, because of his victory, because of his forgiveness... Because of his grace and because his mercy, I can live, you can live a free life. Amen. You don't have to believe the lies of enemy anymore. You can be free. You can be free. Why? Because he made you free. And we're going to talk about that. We've got to bring every thought into captivity. That means to control your mind. Turn to your neighbor and say, control your mind. We can bring every thought into captivity. Why? Because the Bible tells us to do that. You know what it means to bring our thoughts into captivity? It means this, that we control our thoughts and our thoughts don't control us. How do we do that? By choosing what we dwell on. By choosing what we build on. By choosing the direction we choose to follow in each one of our lives. Because you've got to begin to identify right now what's truth and what's a lie. You've got to know when the enemy opens his mouth, he's going to speak a lie. He dresses it up and he presents it all nice. But if it's anything that goes against the knowledge, the word, the truth of who God is and who you are in God, it's a lie. And you've got to begin to identify that. So when the enemy comes in, you've got to bring those thoughts into captivity. What do you do? You don't dwell on those. You don't build your life on those. No, no, I'm not a failure. I'm a great success in Christ. Come on, I'm not the tail. Aren't you glad you're not the butt? You're the head, amen. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you ain't the tail. Come on, you're the head. You're not beneath, you're overcomer in Christ Jesus. You've got to begin to believe that. So that's bringing those thoughts into captivity. I don't believe the lie. I just build my life upon the truth. Is it truth or is it a lie? If it's a lie, I, what, reject it. I don't dwell on that. Philippians tells us whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, what do we do? We meditate, we think, we build our lives upon those things. Bringing them into captivity. It's amazing how controlled our minds really are if you don't believe that then just sit down and think it can be dangerous sometimes to sit down and think because most of the time when we sit down and think we never think ourselves into blessing we think ourselves into everything bad that could happen should happen and maybe would happen in our lives come on we don't go when we're having symptoms, we don't go on what medical M D, whatever online, and we don't go on there and we don't go on there expecting them to tell us everything's gonna be okay. We expect them to tell us we've got a tumour, we're cancerous, and that we're dying. Why? Because that's what our minds tell us. Our minds always tell us the worst. When our boss calls us up and says we need to talk, where's your mind go, man, I'm gonna be fired? It's the first place, isn't it? And may I tell you, may I, can I help you out? If you're thinking that, maybe you need to work a little bit harder because maybe you've got a guilty conscience, amen? My boss is calling me into the office. I'm not thinking I'm going to be fired because I'm the hardest worker. I'm the best worker. I'm making this company a better place. Come on, we need to control our minds. Think about the control our minds have on us and how controlled we are with the wrong thinking. Some of you laid ab- awake last night worrying about stuff just your mind going crazy because it doesn't stop when you begin to think with your mind there's no period at the end it keeps going and it builds and it builds and it builds it's no end it just keeps going it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and the mind is so important because everything we are starts with a thought our words start with a thought our actions start with a thought So can you see if Satan gets our mind, he gets our life. If he gets the source, anything after that is going to be polluted, tainted and infected. If Satan has your mind, he has you. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Come on, I'm believing for God to give me a new mind. Come on, I need a new mind. I need a new way of thinking. Come on, I need to bring down and cast down every stronghold and everything that rises itself up against God. I've got to bring into captivity every thought. I've got to have victory in my life. You know, I've realized this. I can't always control every thought that comes in my mind. Notice the word always control. I think some of us are guilty of opening up our lives to things that we shouldn't. And as a result of those things, it feeds our lives and those things come in. I think you need to put filters on your entrance points. You know your entrance points? It's your mouth, your eyes, your ears and your nose. Watch what you're putting in those things. It used to just be three entrance points. Your mouth, your eyes and your ears. But now people are sticking other stuff up their noses and stuff too. You've got to put a filter on all the things that the enemy wants to put inside of you. So you've got to watch those things. Why? Because there's an old term that says this, garbage in garbage out. Don't care how holy you are. Don't care how saved you are. There is no exception to that rule. What you put in is what's going to come out. You are a product of your thinking, your way, what you've put inside of you. And God says, I'm tired of your stinking thinking. I want a renewed mind that is transformed. So I don't always control what comes in. I've been driving in the car, and I'm sure you have too. I've been driving in the car, and this thought just came in my mind. I'm like, man, where did that come from? And the only conclusion I have is the pit of hell. Those thoughts come. So I can't always control what comes in, but I do have the power over what stays, what I allow to remain. When those thoughts come in from the pit of hell, I send them right back. Devil, you're a liar. I'm not going to believe that. Because you've got to watch what you allow to remain because what you allow to remain will take root and it will build in your life. I'm not much of a gardener, but just the other day, Kelly and I, or the other week, um, we were doing our gardens. In fact, I'm calling my wife out. It wasn't that she really did it. She helped me buy the stuff. She just watched me doing it, you know. (laughs) Love my wife. She's incredible. No, she was helping. She was painting the bed. Dad helped me. Luke helped me. It was a corporate effort. And we got all our gardens done. But one thing I notice is this. Has anyone here ever planted a weed? Has anyone ever planted a weed? Tamara has planted a weed. Anyone ever planted a weed? No one plants a weed. But they grow, don't they? How how come weeds always grow in our gardens, but yet we don't plant them? So I've never planted a weed, but one thing I've done is I've plucked up hundreds of them. And I've pulled them up. And one thing I've realized this too, is some of those reeds, roots and those weeds are stubborn brutes. They're stubborn. You can just grab a flower that's maybe dead and you just kind of, with two fingers, you can just pull it out of the ground. But some of those weeds, you, you've got to get everything. Have you ever been, and I'm telling you, I have, have you ever been given it so much that all of a sudden the weed disconnected from the root and you went flying back on your back and all of a sudden the weed's in your hand but the root's still in the ground? And you felt an absolute idiot. You're pulling and pushing and you are doing. You have to take a shovel and you have to dig it. Why? Because the roots go down so deep. That's how the wrong thoughts want to be in your mind. It's not that we plant them there, but we've got to watch because they'll grow. And they'll grow. But they'll tend to grow down. And what happens if they're in our mind and they grow down? Where do they go? They infect and attack our heart. The roots come down into our heart. Our heart is our place of faith relationship with God. It attacks who we are in God. attacks our faith and what God says we are. And Satan wants to play mind games with us by messing with your head, by setting up strongholds inside of your mind. Here's a key statement for the message today. And if you're taking notes today, I, I, I think you need to write this down. And If you're not taking notes, I, I really believe you need to take notes in church. I always take notes in church, obviously, when I'm not preaching. And, um, but when I'm not preaching, I always take notes because I don't know what I'm going to need on Monday and Tuesday. And I can go back to those things. So buy yourself a nice journal. Invest in something really nice. If you're doing it on your phone, that's fine. But try to watch. On your phone, it's great. But you have the ability for someone to text you or to check your Facebook and just different things like that. The enemy will use anything he can to distract you. Watch for those things. But listen to this. This is a key statement today. Are you ready? So many people's problems are rooted in their thinking patterns that actually produce the problems they experience in their lives. So many people's problems are rooted in their thinking patterns that actually produce the problems they experience in life. If you miss that, grab a CD at the end. It's going to be on the message. But Satan offers the wrong thinking to everyone. But we don't have to accept his offer. John... Eight verse 44, the last part of that verse, the last line says this that when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and he is the father of it. Speaking of Satan, he is the father of lies. He lies to you and me. He tells us things about ourselves, about other people and about circumstances that are just not true. He fills our mind. He plays the mind game, but he doesn't tell us the entire lie all at once. I'm reading a book right now, and it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you to read it. It's called Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers. It's a great, great book. But she records this that I wrote down on my notes. Listen to this. Speaking of Satan, she says this. He begins by bombarding our minds with a cleverly devised pattern of little nagging thoughts, suspicions, doubts, fears, wanderings, reasonings, and theories. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid plans take time. Remember, he has a strategy for his warfare. He has studied us for a long time. He knows what we like. And he knows what we don't like. He knows our insecurities. Our weaknesses. And our fears. And I've got to say this right now. It's not because he can read your mind. Satan cannot read your mind. How does he know these things? He just has to hang around with you for probably 10 minutes. And he hears your conversation. He sees your life. He knows the insecurities. He studied you long and hard. He knows what bothers us most. He is willing to invest any amount of time it takes to defeat us. Because one of the devil's strongest points is patience. Think about that. He studies us. Putting those thoughts in our minds in the areas of weakness and insecurities that he knows and fears that we have, to begin to tell us a different story of our lives. Satan wants to set up strongholds in your mind. A stronghold is what? It's an area in which we are held in bondage. Satan wants to set up bondage in your mind. He wants your mind to be in bondage, literally a prison due to a certain way of thinking. He wants your mind to be his stronghold. He wants to be in control. He wants to have the power of your mind. But what did the Bible tell us? We've got to tear down those strongholds. We've got to tear down those prisons. We've got to tear down those bondages. We've got to tear down those wrong Thoughts, because if we don't tear them down, they will control us and they will beat us each and every time. Your life will be the product of your thoughts. You've got to think right, you've got to think godly. In Deuteronomy, we read of Moses. And most of Deuteronomy is Moses giving his final address to the children of Israel. It's Moses saying his goodbyes as God was going to remove him from leadership and was going to put Joshua as the leader of the children of Israel. But in the beginning of Deuteronomy, we see Moses reminding the children of Israel again of the promise that God had given them some 40 years earlier. And Deuteronomy 1 verse 2 says these words, It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In other words, what we just read there is God is telling through Moses the fact of God's intended journey from them leaving captivity to promise was an 11-day journey. For their freedom was an 11-day journey, but it turned into 40 years wandering in a wilderness. Look at verse 6 and 7 because this is what God now is instructing Moses. He's talked about what had happened and now he's saying to him, here's what you've got to do. He says to them, the Lord spoke to us in Horeb saying, you have what? Dwelt long enough at this mountain. Man, if you don't get anything else today, I pray you get this, that you have dwelt long enough where you're at. This is It's a new day for you. It's a new day for your mind. You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. He's says in verse seven, turn and take Your journey. In other words, God says to the children of Israel, it's time to turn, it's time to go, and it's time to pursue. Man, I feel that today. Come on, that which we should have already done, we maybe haven't done. And we've been stuck there because the enemy has bombarded our minds, making us doubt God. But God would say to each one of us today, it's time to turn your mind around, it's time to go the way God wants you to go. And it's time that you pursue and have everything that God has for your life. Come on, it's time for you and I to move into our promise. Devil, enough is enough. You've messed with my marriage. You've messed with my finances. You've messed with my health. You've just messed with me long enough. I'm going into my promise. I'm going into the promise that God has. But why would God say an 11 day journey, they're still not there? but now it was time to go. I want us to take a step back and I want us to look at why they didn't already have the promise. Why they weren't living in the promise. And before we look at that, you've got to understand this truth. Are you ready? The problem is not the promise. It's the possession of the promise. What do I mean by that? The problem's not God. The problem is you and I. Because God, when He says, it's yours, it's as good as yours. But you know what you've got to do? You've got to go and receive that. You've got to go and possess that. You've got to go and grab a hold of that. So the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. It's with our stinking thinking. It's what we have chosen not to live in, but instead to live in a lie of the enemy. As he plays mind games. With us because it first starts in your mind. Proverbs 23, verse 7 For as a man thinks in his heart, that's the thought, so is he. One translation says, As a man thinks, so he becomes. That's both powerful and scary. That's both powerful and scary. Why? Because if we think, positively, if we think right in our minds, if we say and believe the word of God and we begin to confess that over our life, guess what we're going to be? We're going to be that. But if we speak negativity and we allow the wrong thoughts to bombard our minds that produce the wrong actions and the wrong words, guess what? That's what our life is going to be. As we think, the Bible says, that's what we're going to become. So here's the thought, where the mind goes, the man follows. Where the mind goes, the man follows. Look what, it, look what I mean by that. Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2. The Lord God spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. I love that. I'm given to them. It's not maybe. God says I've given it to them. It's theirs. Spy out the land which is theirs already. I just got to possess it. From each tribe, there was 12 tribes, and that's why they sent out 12 men, one from each tribe of the fathers. You shall send a man, everyone, a leader amongst them. So they were instructed, they were chosen and instructed to go into the promised land. They were told to bring back a report. Tell us what is there. Tell us all the good things. Just bring back a report of what is happening. And look what it says in verse 27, when they returned, listen to what 10 of the 12 said. When they returned, they said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, for this is its fruit. Verse 23 tells us that they grabbed a cluster of grapes and the grapes were so big Took two men to carry them. Think about that. Aren't you glad they found the grapes and not the watermelons, amen? (laughs) Wouldn't have been able to bring those suckers back. Didn't have Instagram to take a picture either. So they're talking about how great and how awesome it is. They are bearing the fruit of evidence. Nevertheless, nevertheless, but, but is where our stinking thinking comes in. But the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and they are very large. Moreover, that's not bad enough. We saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, there were giants there. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can go from a good report to a bad report? Isn't it how quickly our minds can take us from a happy place to a sad place, from a place of victory to a place of defeat, just in an absolute moment? Our minds can be one way and then they can take us completely the other way. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can reason ourselves out of our miracle that God has told us is ours? Come on, isn't it amazing how we can take ourselves out of the promise, the breakthroughs and the victories that God has for our lives by the fact of allowing our minds to be bombarded with a lie and not the truth. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, 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 stop. Hold on. Don't listen. Yes, it's great. But there is something greater. And that is this. We are well able to go in and take it. Why? Because God is with us. But when Joshua and Caleb tried to rile up the people, tried to encourage all the people, the other ten disagreed. We're going to be talking in the next few weeks sometime from Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded our minds. Our minds can be blinded. God doesn't blind our sight because you can close your eyes and still imagine something. You can still see things with your mind. But when the enemy takes your sight and your mind, there's nothing Their sight and their mind had been taken. That they didn't see the promise. They saw the obstacles. They didn't see the blessing. They saw everything that stood in the way. That told them, you'll never have this. You'll never be a part of that. And here's the saddest part in verse 32. Reading on it says, And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Really, how did that actually happen? Think about that. It's a land now that devours its inhabitants. What, the ground opens and just swallows people? Can you see now how one thought now is painting a worse picture and we're going to see it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now it's a land that devours its inhabitants. It's not the enemy that we've got to worry about. It's the ground. And then it goes on and it says, and what? All the people. Hold on a second. I thought we just read a few minutes ago that there were some giants. But now what do we read? And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. Now it's a land that opens up, swallows us. Now everyone who lives there is a giant. And it gets worse. Verse 33. Then we saw the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. I want you to see what the wrong mind has now just done to them. They went in there to scout the land that God was giving them. They went in there to pursue the promise that God had available to them. But because of what they saw and because of the lies of the enemy that they believed, they now see themselves not as victorious, not as the conquerors, those who are going to pursue and going to gain hold of the promise, but now they see themselves like grasshoppers. An insignificant insect is how they see themselves. And not only do they see themselves like that, but what do they say? And they, the people of the land, they saw us the same way. How did they know what the enemy saw? How did they know what the enemy perceived them to be? Can I tell you why? The enemy, they didn't know what the enemy knew. Because they can't go into someone else's mind. But the reason they saw themselves in someone else's eye as a grasshopper was because they had transferred to other people the way they had seen themselves. We've got to watch. But because of our wrong mind, we'll begin to see ourselves wrong in other people's minds too. In other people's life, the torment, it's not just enough to feel that we're useless. We're then going to see ourselves in our boss's eyes of never been able to keep a job. We're never going to be able to be anything. Why? Because our transference of what's going on inside of us becomes what we believe everyone else sees in us too. It's a defeat that started in their minds that attacked their perception of who they were. That began the story of their lives. And you know what the story of their life was? They died in a wilderness after wandering around for 40 years. What was intended to be an 11-day journey from bondage to promise ended up being a 40-year burial site, cemetery for them as they died out. That wasn't their given promise. There are too many children of God, you included today, that are wandering around in a place that God never intended you to be. He wanted you to go through that place because He was taking you to His promise. But because of the wrong thinking and the wrong thoughts, your marriage is still in a wilderness. Your finances are still in a wilderness. Your health is still in a wilderness. Your children are still in a wilderness. You're still in a wilderness. And I'm telling you, if you don't get out of the wilderness, you're going to die there. Yes, yes, yes. You're going to die there. They had to change the way they thought. You and I need a new story to our lives. We need a new mind. Tired of the devil messing with my mind. Tired of his mind games. I need a new story. Do you know how you have a new story? You've got to have a new theme. And you know what creates a new theme in your life? A new mind. A new mind. A new mind. The children of Israel were defeated in their minds before they even fought a battle. And they forgot the most important thing, that God was with them. God was on their side. But instead of saying, this is what God has for me, they said, there's no way we can do it. But it became more than there's no way we can do it. It became personal. There's no way I can do it. For many of you, it's the thoughts of your past that still want to rob you from your future. The images, the ideas, the strongholds that you have built up through your past thoughts, the pains and the, and, and the mistakes and the fails. All those things of your life that are refusing to release you into the new day that God has for you. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way that you think. Because your mind is like a computer. And it's had a life of garbage programmed into it. But I want to remind you today that God is the best computer programmer around. And you've got to invite Him in and say, God, would you reprogram my mind? Come on, I need to get the can't do out and realize I can do those things. I've got to get out the pain of the past and I'll never be anything because that's not what God's Word. That's not the knowledge of God. That's not what God says. That's not who God is. I've got to allow those thoughts to be Reprogrammed. 2 Corinthians 10 5. Remember, we've got to cast down, we've got to tear down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the image of God, the greatness of what He wants to be in my life. Come on, don't be defeated before you take a step. Come on, you are literally one step today from your promise, that which God has given to you, meaning it was right there. What did they have to do? They just had to claim it. Come on, it's right there today. What have you got to do? You You've got to reclaim it. What do I mean? Reclaim it. You've got to get your mind back and control your thinking and renew your mind and be transformed in Christ Jesus. You've got to bring every thought into captivity. You've got to destroy those strongholds and be transformed by a new mind. How do we do that, Pastor? Glad you asked. Going to give it to you quickly today. Because you've got to fight through Satan's mind games. And you cannot do it in your own strength. But God has given you weapons. Weapons that you can use. Weapons that are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds. Man, I'm getting excited. If you're not going to be excited, I'm going to get excited myself. Come on, weapon number one. Are you ready? I'm going to give you four weapons today. Weapon number one, realize what God has done for you. you got to realize what he has done for you. you got to realize what is available for you. Come on, you got to realize what God has made possible for you. Come on, you got to realize today that he's paid the price for your freedom. Galatians 3 verse 13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become, a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What does that mean? He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. How did He do that? By praying the price that we owned. He became our substitute. He took our place. Come on, you should say amen to that. He took that place. He redeemed us. You got to begin to realize who you are in Christ Jesus. You're not a failure. You're redeemed. Come on, you've been bought with a price. You have freedom in God. You have freedom available in. God, you just got to step into it, and you've got to pursue it, you've got to claim it, and it's yours. New Living Translation says, but Christ has rescued us. Love that thought. He's rescued us from the curse pronounced upon us by the law. When he was hung upon the cross, he took upon himself the curse of for all our wrongdoings. When the enemy comes and says Jesus doesn't love you, that's a lie. You don't believe that. You cast down those thoughts and you remember what he has done for you. He has set you free. You're a brand new creation. Come on, you're not the same as you used to be. you may be a work in progress, but you're progressing. You're a different person. Why? Because he's paid the price for you. Come on, he's done it for you. He died for your freedom. It's fully available to you he made it fully possible you've just got to choose to live in it you've got to know what he's done for you point number two weapon number two Are you ready weapon number two his word his word his word come on hold up your bible if you've got a bible in the house hold it up come on that's not just a book you're holding up today come on that's not just a book that's a weapon Come on, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's a weapon that we can defeat the enemy by the Word of God. John 8 verse 31 and 32 says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in my... You abide in my word. You are my disciples indeed. Notice this. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, shall set you free. The the thought is this. It will continually bring freedom in your life. What brings the freedom? The truth of God. If you believe in the lies of the enemy, the lies of enemy will never produce a truth in your life because a negative mind will always be a negative life. you have got to change the way you think. That's not the truth for my life anymore. God's word is my truth. I realize what's available to me through his word and I'm going to stand upon it. I'm going to build my life upon that. You shall know the truth. That word know there is more than just a thought. It's not just thinking it. The thought there is this. It's personal experience that you shall know as you live the word. As you live the word, as you live it, you'll experience it, and you'll see the truth and the freedom it's going to bring to your life. If you get a time, read Psalms one nineteen. It'll take you a while to do one hundred and seventy six verses. There it takes a while, but if you would read Psalms one nineteen, an incredible chapter it talks much about keeping your word. It talks about following your word. Talks about being strengthened by your word. Talks about being led by the word. In fact, most of us would probably know 119, 105. Anyone know that one? It says, your word is a what? Lamp unto my feet. And it's a light unto my path. You see, knowing God's word and reading it is so important because you will discover what God says about you. You know, some of you don't know the word of God and you never will know it unless you read it. You've got to read it. You've got to get it into you. I talked about this in the nine o'clock service. We give out daily devotions that are absolutely awesome. But if you've only got one thing you can do in a day, put the devotion aside and get out the word of God. Come on. Thank God for those devotions. I think they're really good, but I need more than just a verse and someone else's interpretation of that verse. I need the bread of life. I need the word of God inside of me. So if you don't have time, you know, I'm five days behind on my devotion, but I'm up to date with my word because I'm not substituting the word. It's my food. It's my life. It's that which helps me. It's, that, it's a weapon against the lies of the enemy. Come on, it discovers what God says about you. That you can discover your true identity, who you are in Christ Jesus. With scriptures like 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priest. Hold on, that doesn't go with what the enemy's told me. Lie, truth, what? You're chosen. That's what God says. You've got to start believing that. I'm chosen. Yes. I'm royalty. I'm holy. I'm set apart. Come on, I'm his own special people. Look at your neighbor and say that means peculiar. You're peculiar. You could believe that looking at your neighbor, maybe, couldn't you? But what it means is special. God set apart, like he's put his heads, like he said, ain't Satan said to Job, but you have protected Job. That's what Satan said to God. You can I can't touch him. I can't touch him. You know what? God wants to put his protection all around you. The enemy can't touch you. Come on, MC Hammer thought he knew what it was. MC Hammer didn't have nothing. That was God said, can't touch this. Come on now. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Showing my age right there with the MC Hammer. Just got to drop my pants down and we'll just hammer time, hammer time. But you're a chosen generation. You've got to know the word of God. You've got to know the truth of God. Satan doesn't want you to realize that. He doesn't want you to know the truth of God's words. Mark 4 and verse 24, Jesus said to them, take heed what you hear. You've got to watch what you're feeding yourself with. You've got to watch the CDs, the messages, the things that you're feeding yourself with because you need the word of God. You need the truth of God because it's only that that's going to bring freedom to your mind because Jesus says with the same measure you use, it's going to be used back to you and to who hears more will be given. You've got to watch what you hear because the same message method you use, you're going to act that out. You're going to act out what you put in. And God says, and when you hear the right things, I believe is what He's saying is here, you're going to get more. More is going to be given. Why? Because the Word produces life inside of you. It produces life inside of you. When Jesus was tempted, what was His way of escape? He quoted the Word of God. When the enemy tempted Him in the wilderness, He quoted back the Word of God. Of God. Psalms 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word hidden is not that you've put in it so deep that you can't even find it. It means to be strategically placed. It's put deep down in that vital area of my life. I've put the word of God inside of my heart that when the enemy comes, I'm not going to sin in my mind. I'm not going to sin in my body. I'm not going to sin in my will. Why? Because I've put the word of God inside of me. I know the truth. That thought there of sin is not just of action we all think of sin and doing something but you know James tells us that sin is also not doing what we know we should do so there's sins of action and there's also sin of no action no action what causes us to have no action in our life? Doubting God doubting God and not believing God in our life Satan plays mind games that many of us are defeated before even the battle weapon number two The word, weapon number three, prayer, 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 prayer. What a powerful weapon. I was away at a conference this week and I was really challenged on something. Here was the challenge. When we pray, do we pray for presence or do we pray for performance? When we pray, is it presence or performance? What do I mean by that? If we don't watch, our prayer can be performance. God, would you help me today because I'm doing this? God, I need my strength because of that. Our prayer can be on what we have to do and for our kids and for all of that kind of stuff. And thank God for that type of prayer. That's important to pray those things, but not at the expense of his presence. I wonder if our prayer life has been all about what, God, we need you to do instead of discovering once again of who you really are. Taking time alone with God. Getting alone with God. What did David say in Psalm 63 verse 1? He says, O Lord, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Notice what he says, early will I turn to you, early will I seek you. Here's my two thoughts there, early means in the a.m., means early in the day. I don't think there's no better way to start your day than a time of prayer, seeking God and asking God just to be with you. But here's the other thought of early, David is saying in the process of life, I turn to you first because many of us, I believe, turn to everyone else before we we turn to God. We go to this friend, we go to that friend. We go to this bottle, we go to this pill. We go to this website, we go to this place. God says, or David says, early will I seek you. Come on, he needs to be your first point of call early in the morning, yes. But when you're struggling throughout the day, he's the first one that you turn to as you begin to pray. David is saying that through prayer and seeking God, it invites God into our world you know what else it requires of us prayer? Do you know prayer requires something of you? And that is to, to listen for an answer. That we're to listen for an answer because prayer is a two-way conversation. It's not always what you want. In fact, it may not be what you want, what you hear back, but it's going to be what you need. God's going to always tell you what you need, not what you want. One of my favorite scriptures on prayer is Psalms 145 verse 18. If you've been in the church for a while, you would know this. The Bible says the Lord is near to those who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I think many times we pray a lie to God. We pray to God, God, I think you're wonderful. No, we don't. We're struggling. And we're not happy with God right now. God, I thank you for my job. No, you're not because you hate your job. So many times we pray a lie to God. I believe we need to have a transparency and a sincerity in our life because God says, I'll be near to those who call upon me, to those who are truthful with me. Here's how you pray if you're struggling. God, I'm not really happy with you right now because this is happening in my life and that's happened in my life. But God, I know that you're sovereign and I know that you're true. And would you help me with that? Notice the sincerity of our hearts instead of just saying, Oh God, I think you're wonderful. I think you're glorious. When you begin to be transparent and open, you begin to give God something that he can work with. And when he gets something to work with, he can produce and he can feed a multitude. If you give God. A personal relationship with God will build an effective prayer life. If you're struggling to pray, fall in love with God. And you can be creative in your prayer. One of the best places you can pray is not on your knees with your eyes closed and your hands together. One of the best places you can pray in your car. Make your car your prayer cathedral. As you're driving to work every day. Make it your time of prayer. Be creative with prayer. Discover that there is a button on the top of your remote that's called power that does turn off your TV. Discover that there is a mute button and a power button even on your phone that you can turn off, that you can get away and have some time with God. Make it a priority. Remember when you fell in love? And when you were in love, what did you want? You wanted to talk to that person and be with that person. If you couldn't be together, what would you do? You talked to them talked to them on the phone and you talked about things that didn't even matter and you talked and you talked and you talked and when you didn't have anything to talk about you just sat on the phone and just breathed (sighs) i think sometimes we talk so much that god wishes we would get to a place where we would quit talking and we would just breathe so he would know that we're still there And we would know that He's still there, that He could speak into our lives and speak truth back into our lives. Get to know Jesus through prayer. Get to discover what He has for your life. Get to know He's your friend. He's the one who died for you. But also in your prayer life, welcome the helper, the Holy Spirit. That's power to your prayer. Have a prayer language in God. Pray God's words. So what are the weapons? Knowing who I am and what's available to me in God. Number two, knowing his word. Number three, prayer. And number four, praise. Praise, praise. It's a dangerous one here because I could talk for weeks on praise. Second Chronicles 20, verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, or to praise, the Lord set up ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to praise, God stepped in and he produced a victory. I'm telling you right now, Satan has no answer to your praise. Satan has no answer when you begin to throw your hands in the air and you begin to praise God. Come on some of you may say, well I don't feel like praising God. That's when you need to praise God. Come on, you need to get your praise on. Turn to your neighbor and say you need to get your praise on. Come on, you need to throw your hands in the air and you need to start praising him because the enemy's telling you all things and he's messing with your mind but you begin to praise God. You begin to transform your mind by a renewing that will come as you begin to praise God, as you begin to worship God. Because Satan's only answer to praise is to silence your praise because he can't stop praise. He said, what did he say to Jesus? He said himself, if you don't praise me, or Jesus replied to Satan, if you don't praise me, what's going to happen? The rocks and stones are going to cry out. Satan cannot silence praise. He can stop your praise. Don't let him stop your praise because praise takes you through one door and it helps you leave the opposite way. Look what it says in Ezekiel 46 and verse 19. I think we have it on the screen this time. I didn't have it last time. It says, but when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate and whoever enters by the way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the gate through which he came, but he shall go out through the opposite gate. What an incredible thought of praise that as I begin to praise, it doesn't matter how I came in. As I begin to praise, I'm going out a different way. Come on. I maybe came in bound and oppressed and tormented, but I can leave free. Why? Because the commandment is I go in one way and I come out. And what happens in the middle? I praise God. I give to God his best. Praise defeats the devil quicker than any other battle plan. But praise is not just to be a lip service. Matthew 15, verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where's your heart? It's not just a lip service. Why? Because praise is not what we do, praise is who we are. Praise brings the victory each and every time in our lives. I've got to finish and we're ready to close. So, what's your battle? What's the battle in your mind? What's the games that Satan's playing? What is the lies that he's filling your mind with? What is it that he has strategically placed against your life? What are the strongholds that he's put upon you? Come on, I'm believing right now. The Word of God says we've got to tear those things down. By knowing who we are. By what? By standing on his word. By praying, by praise. I think two of the greatest words that we could ever experience in our daily lives is this Amen and Hallelujah amen means so be it. That's at the end of my prayer. And hallelujah means praise to God. I think if every day we could say an amen and a hallelujah in our lives, our lives would be completely different because we would be praying and we'd be appraising, amen. We'd be getting our praise on and seeing God moved. As the band begins to come back, I want to ask you today, will you allow God to give you a transformed, renewed mind? God wants to transform and renew your mind. Why? Because a negative mind will only produce a negative life. A negative mind will only produce a negative life. Come on, allow the truth of God to flow from your heart, to pur- purify your mind, to transform your mind. Come on, devil, you've messed with me long enough. Come on, I'm not going to play your mind games anymore. That's a lie. That's not truth. I'm going to build my life upon Jesus Christ and what he says, I am in him. Would you stand to your feet with us today? You received that word today? Come on, I said, did you receive that word today?